smooth sailing there. Sounds yes, phone, good. I took my 7 o'clock medication. You can turn that notification off because I took it. And, okay. I believe we're ready to go. I've got your waveforms. I've got mine. Mm -hmm. I will count it down and we'll get underway. Promenade Merchants Podcast, episode 77. In five, four, three, two. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. It's our 77th episode. We are a independent Star Trek podcast that records about every two weeks or so because we don't want to overload you guys. I'm David Majors. I like Star Trek, and this is the podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, the fantastic Heather Kirby. Hello, Heather. Hello, David. I'm Heather. I also like Star Trek, amongst many other things, but we love talking about Star Trek. Yes, we do. And we thank you all for listening. Now, if you're new to the show, first of all, thank you again. Hi, I'm David. That's Heather. And we do our show in sort of a three-act format. And our three-act format is chop full this episode. Uh, we start with the old business, which is our segment for Legacy Star Trek, which we like to say is everything from the cage up to the Kelvin movies, more or less. New business is what's currently happening and airing in Star Trek right now. So we're going to talk about the last two episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks in season four, which was episodes seven and eight. And later on, we'll get to upcoming business where we look at Trek news and, and notes and things that are happening in the world of Star Trek and that are a little bit further ahead. So, Heather... I think thanks to Lower Decks, we got ourselves a pretty good topic for old business. And everyone, if you're out there listening, if you feel like telling us your favorites, please let us know. Let us know at Prom Trekpod on social media. Now, Heather, we had an episode of Lower Decks about caves, and it has been brought up that there have been many episodes of Star Trek that take place in caves. Uh, and I wanted to know, uh, what were some of your favorite Star Trek episodes that took place in caves? Okay. So, <laughs> I might be in the min minority on this one. I know that there's a lot of Star Trek episodes that have taken place in caves. Um, most of them aren't memorable to me. Because okay. I, I, I like for the past week, I heard everybody talking about, oh, yeah, you know, and, and, and because of Lower Decks or whatever. Oh, yeah, the, there's always Star Trek episodes in caves. I mean, I, I had to think about this <laughs> because I know there there is and I know I've seen plenty of them. But when we're talking about memorable episodes for me of Star Trek that takes place in caves. I would have to go all the way back to TOS. Okay. Okay. Um, I think probably the popular one from TOS, uh, when we're talking about a cave episode, would be The Devil in the Dark. Yes. Yes, yes. And that is an incredible episode. 
Um, would you mind just giving us a little bit more uh, on that episode, just for me in my bad memory? Uh, the Devil in the Dark is the episode where uh, the Enterprise is asked to assist a uh, mining operation uh, because their employees have been getting killed by something that's living in the caves. This and is the silicon-based life form, isn't yes, it? The yes, 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 yes. The Horta. The um, Horta. So they find the Horta, the silicon-based life form, and Spock actually mind melds with the Horta to discover that like the little balls things they've been kicking around and throwing away are actually her eggs and her offspring. And so she's upset and she's trying to save her offspring and that's why she's killing people. So... Yeah, I had to go all the way back. I, I I know there's cave episodes in TNG. I know there's cave episodes in Voyager. I know there's at least one in Enterprise. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's probably technically at least one in DS9 too. But yeah, I had to go back all the way back to TOS to really have an episode that stuck in my head that was a cave episode. So, like I said, the popular answer is The Devil in the Dark. It's a classic episode. Everyone loves it. Everyone knows the Horta me no kill all that um my second thing in here is really a deep cut just for me because i was always with tos i was a huge christine chapel fan in tos because i love major barrett okay and so the singular christine chapel episode of tos is also primarily kind of based in a cave <laughs> Um, it's what little girls are made of. And it's the one with the penis rock. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. See, that's all you need to say. Yeah. And everyone will immediately remember that episode. Yes, so, yes, yes. Um, I don't think people could... I love the episode, personally. I don't think a lot of people consider it a, a, a good episode or not. Um, but it is a Chris, the only Christine Chapel episode in the entire series. And... Um, it's awesome, and I love it, and we got a lot of backstory about her in that episode, and it has to do with crazy clones and, and big, giant robot men and Kirk battling them with penis rocks. So, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That that one is classic camp 60s sci-fi, and I'm all here for it. Oh, definitely. Uh, yes, very much so. Um, for me, actually, um, this was actually surprisingly easy because a couple of my favorite episodes in the entire Star Trek franchise take place in caves. Uh, a couple of episodes I really, really love are in caves. And one in particular that I have a kind of a soft spot for, but we'll, we'll talk about that one. Uh, the first one is from TNG, and that is The Enemy. And oh, okay. this is yeah, the episode yeah, yeah. where, on an away mission, Jordy falls into a cave, and he runs into a Romulan, a Romulan soldier. And they have to put their differences aside to find a way to get out of the cave. And... They go through all sorts of 
trials and tribulations and all sorts of problems on this planet and inside this cave. And they are able to work together and get off the ship. And even back in space, Captain Picard and Tomalok manage to not kill each other. And for a moment, the Romulans and the Federation found some common ground. And even as a kid, and as I've gone back to it, I remember really, really liking this episode. I loved that it was a Geordie episode. Yeah. And I just think that this one was very much what Star Trek is all about, in my opinion. I really, really love this episode. Yeah, uh, this this is a classic, very, very good episode. Um, my... Only add-on that I want to add to all of that is Andreas Katsoulis as Commander Tomalak is just so great. He's brilliant. He <laughs> he's is brilliant. brilliant. He's I, so I'm brilliant. so glad he became a re- regular character. Yeah, he he he's so brilliant. And and like I said, I, I bring this up because as I mentioned in the intro, I am a nerd of everything. Um, if you love Star Trek, if if you love Andreas Katsoulis as as Tomalak. Watch Babylon 5. That's right. Watch Babylon 5 because his character arc as Jakar in Babylon 5 is just so incredible and wonderful. And it is a master class to watch. And yeah, so that's that's my Babylon 5 pop right there. That that is a okay with me. Um, what do you think about the the upcoming a- animated series coming up? Uh, you know, <laughs> I really am hope, and I'm one of those people. I know everyone talks about physical media, physical media, physical media. I don't own anything that I can run a DVD on. Um, so I'm really hoping I can purchase it digitally. I think I can. I haven't gotten around to doing it yet. Um, the 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 movie, because uh, it, it, it's a movie that they released, but it has the potential to launch a series because we're talking like multiverse implications here from what I read about it. I didn't read that many spoilers, um, but it was phenomenal. And like everyone I know that has watched it has said it was so good. There's the, the thing with bringing back a lot of the original characters is that there's a lot of um, casts from Babylon 5 that are unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, But some of the the voice actors they cast in those roles uh, did a very good job from what I was told. So I'm excited about it. I haven't watched the movie yet, but I'm going to get around to doing it definitely. All right, very cool. And and I'm not one on physical media either. I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh but speaking of a masterclass, uh my next episode inside of a cave. Uh we got an acting masterclass from Avery Brooks and Mark Alamo. And yeah. <laughs> okay. we this wouldn't like be the Promenade Merchants yeah. podcast yeah. if we didn't talk about Deep Space 9 a little bit. And I absolutely love the episode Waltz. Ducat and Captain Sisko are trapped in a cave and 
for all intents and purposes, they get the opportunity to hammer out all of their differences until the climax of the Dominion War. And I think that both of them are really at the top of their game. We get insight into Ducat's mindset during the occupation. We see Cisco really giving him no credit because it turns out Ducat's really evil and crazy. And I just think that the two of them going back and forth was just a great, great watch. Oh, definitely. Um, Ducat is, is so Ducat is so evil. He's cringeworthy at times in DS Nine, and so that I think this is one of those episodes where I I completely agree with everything you were saying, but Ducat is definitely cringeworthy for me in this way. He's kind of he's out. very very <laughs> evil in this episode. Because he absolutely snaps near the end, and I, oh, yeah. I just think that it was it was a great performance. Yeah, no. By by the end of this, he definitely snaps, and and I think this is one of those episodes that it's very much a turning point for him. Um, and and he has a couple of moments like that, like when um, Damar kills his daughter. <laughs> Okay, that that was a, a turning point. Oh yeah, and, from from my actual favorite episodes, yeah. uh, Sacrifice of Angels. Yeah. Um, so when Demar kills Zael, and and this is another episode that is very much a turning point where he he, he is slowly descending into. I I don't want to call it madness. Super villainy. Super villainy. Yeah, yeah, but very like evil genius <laughs> this is the episode where we see ducat becoming a supervillain. i yeah. think that that's the best way to put it um and one more um this this is my honorable mention from voyager uh blood fever do you remember this episode Heather? <laughs> yes i do <laughs> okay yes i do so i've always liked this episode for a couple of reasons um, it's one of, if not the very first time we see the seeds planted for the romance between Tom Paris and Belana Torres. And number two, a character in Star Trek that I have sort of a soft spot for, maybe a little bit of pity, and, and maybe because I empathize with him a little bit. Ensign Vorik is in this episode. And that poor bastard. <laughs> That's all I can say about Ensign Vorik. Uh, <laughs> This episode is the episode where, for for all intents and purposes, Bolana Torres gets Ponfar, and it is kind of hilarious, but also kind of cringy. But you know, on Voyager, things got weird. But I I kind of appreciate this episode for what it is, and and I'm glad that at the end of this episode, Bolana let down her guard a little bit with Tom Paris and, and it planted the seeds for what would become, what would eventually come. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely did that. I, I, I don't have that much more to say to it. Not, not, e not even anything on Ensign Vorick. No. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, I, I just feel bad for him. I do. So Jeez. I, 
I I do want to send an honorable mention as well, since you did an honorable mention. And I I forget the name of the episode because I don't have it off the top of my head. But Enterprise had a cave episode. Yes, they did. I believe, actually, it was called Strange New World. I believe that's what was it with well, uh, uh, okay that's not the one I was thinking of there were two okay. then okay the the one uh where they ended up like cave diving like uh trip and um trip and Malcolm ended up like climbing down a cave to save like the denoblians scientists that were studying down in the cave that's the one i'm oh yeah 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 Yeah, um i I do remember that episode um let me see uh it's called the breach the breach yes Yes. uh yeah i really like that episode too i really like that one so i think that one was really fun um the also just looking at it here directed by robert duncan mcneil there you go there you go that one was really fun the one you brought up strange new world Yes, it was a cave episode. Yes, it was not quite as fun. No. (laughs) But, but yeah, no, the one where they're there, they're like cliff diving and have to save the Denoblian scientist. Like, oh, hey, you got to get out of here. And they're like, no, 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 we got to leave. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. They actually had an episode where Mayweather was involved. Yeah. (laughs) I I did appreciate that they had Ensign Mayweather involved in that episode a lot. Uh, But, yeah, so... Cave episodes are definitely a thing in Star Trek. And uh, just as a quick note, didn't Discovery do one with Adira? I believe they did, very briefly. Um, Isn't that... There There was an episode where, where Adira was in a cave. It, that, it was the episode where they saw all of the past lives of the host. That's what it was. That's what it was. Oh, well, it, didn't she have to go to the Trill? Or didn't they have trill to go homo. to the, the, the Trill pools yes. and stuff? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I don't know if that entire episode was in a cave, so I'm not quite sure if it counts, but... Eh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. We had we had plenty of cave talk, so let's jump into new business. And we're talking about... Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4. It is still rolling on. And we've made it to Season 4, Episode 7. Uh, and I believe this episode is called A Few Badgies More. Badgie has returned. We also see Peanut Hamper. And we also see Agnes. <laughs> Do you really... want to say it or should I, Heather? Say what? <laughs> Because I think so far through Lower Decks, our opinions on Peanut Hamper and Agamus have pretty much been on the same page. Well, maybe on Peanut Hamper. But okay. I, I, I love Jeffrey Combs, so um, I, I, I got a soft spot for Agamus. I, I really enjoyed this episode, okay? I, I really enjoyed this episode. I think even with like the A and B plot there there was still like a similarity of <laughs> AI trying to destroy the freaking world. <laughs> um, I, I love the whole concept of Rutherford separating out like the, the different or trying to reach Badgie through different aspects of his character, like compassion and logic. 
and then creating the other veggies. Um, and I love the whole thing between Peanut Hamper and, and Agmas. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I was on board with that. I, cause I really thought like she was, it, it seemed completely in character for her to be plotting to take over the world or whatever with him. And then the twist that she just like, didn't want to deal with people anymore and went back to her family, like working on the space station or whatever. Like, I don't know. It, it, it was kind of nice. So I'll give you that one on peanut hamper. I'll give you that one. And I also liked how this episode concluded. I thought that it was interesting that Badgie had just gone completely psycho. And then when he gained all of this power that he wanted and was able to transmit himself through all of subspace, he essentially reached enlightenment. And then right when he was about to destroy everything, he asked himself why. And then he realized, I have unlimited power. I'm, I'm going to go do stuff. I have enlightenment. And I loved that when he disappeared off into another dimension to create another universe, we once again saw the koala. I love that the great koala is like a thing in Lower Decks, okay? It's, that, that, it's I love it. I love it. I love that the koala is just real in Lower Decks. And it's become a running thing. And now we all just accept that the koala is this otherworldly entity that exists beyond our normal framework of understanding. And I'm, I'm kind of here for it. I'm here for the koala. I believe in the koala. So I, I had a couple of things about this episode that I liked, but overall, I don't really mind if we don't see Peanut Hamper and Alchemist again for a while. I don't really mind. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think they left that as, as, like I said, I think it was, in total, it was a fun story. And the the, the side point, like I said, was very much... a slide quest if you will with the two of them was very much along the same lines as to what they were dealing with badgie so it went together for me i didn't feel like it was completely out of place seeing peanut hamper again like the one from last season so um yeah it 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 it, it was nice and i i feel like it wrapped it up in a way that we're not going to see them again for a while and that'll be nice i i am glad that they got an end to their story arc. And that is okay with me. Episode 8 of Season 4, Caves. Now, in a lot of ways, this is kind of like a clip show. Like how, how animated shows and other TV shows back in the day would do a clip show and they couldn't do a new episode. They would just run clips of, of older episodes. Uh, although Lower Decks made something completely brand new and original. <clears throat> Boimler, Mariner, and Tendi are trapped in a cave. And they start telling stories about their experiences inside of caves. What do you think of this episode? 
Well, it, it's interesting that you use the term that this was like a clip show because it wasn't really like a clip show, but it felt like a filler episode to me. Like this, this just kind of felt. Yeah, that's like, a better word for it. That is a better word for it. it. It felt like a filler episode where it was kind of used to advance everyone's stories a little bit, but nothing important really actually happened. Um, so I, I didn't hate it. But it wasn't one of those like that I was like, oh, this is fantastic because you're never going to say that about a filler episode. OK, um, it, it was interesting. And I love how each one of them had a very different story to tell. And at least for three of them, it was stories that they had never shared with anyone else before. But it also shows how they have grown as people. And, and how they have grown in their position, like especially Mariner's story about leading Delta Shift on a mission and getting learning to get along with them. And then uh, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm going to forget the whole Rutherford story even happened because that was a little disturbing. Okay. Yeah, that was wild. That was wild. That, that, that was like threshold level disturbing. Okay. <laughs> that's lizard babies level disturbing um but and boimler's example of how he had to go on a mission with a, a, a kind of other like slightly paranoid crazy the conspiracy guy the levy conspiracy guy we um, saw in season two i believe yeah but he had a better understanding of him afterwards and, and so i think it all really showed how each of them has grown as a person and one and and i love that tendy's story was just about them getting along because that's the kind of person tendy is <laughs> okay. that that was very tendy that, that was, was very, very tendy. tendy so yeah I, it, I mean it was fun it was enjoyable um but it was definitely a filler show i agree with you about it being a filler episode I appreciated the Rutherford story simply because of how crazy it was. I, I like crazy and weird, and the fact that it went there, I respect it. Uh, I did like seeing the Boimler episode and seeing him kind of put Levy in his place because, dude, not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything is a cover-up. But then we get the twist of how their encounter with the Vendorians in the cave actually proved him right, yeah. which I thought was kind of hilarious because the, the paranoid conspiracy guy ended up being right all along, and that's funny. And Mariner learning to get along with Delta Shift was really, really good. I think that this season... That there is kind of a long story arc right now about Mariner showing some growth. We're seeing a lot. We're seeing a lot of her learning things, if you get what I'm saying, and and yeah. learning to kind of be better, do be a better version of herself. And I think this episode with her getting along with Delta Shift and leading Delta Shift showed that too i i think we're getting a lot of really good character growth from mariner this season yeah yeah i'd agree with that 
so episodes seven and eight. I will say these two episodes, probably not my favorite, but I didn't hate either of them. There have been one or two episodes of Lower Decks where I've just been... Neither of these episodes fall into that category. They they were okay. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I'm about on the same thing. I, I really enjoyed seven. Um, eight was okay. I enjoyed eight. Seven was all right. So we're we're pretty much kind of evening things out. And uh, next episode, we'll be wrapping up season four. And who knows what will happen until then. Uh, we're just not going to talk about it. We're, we're going to ignore that fact till it comes around. <laughs> Good idea. All right. So let's just jump into upcoming business. And we have uh, we have quite a bit for upcoming business, actually. Uh, and let's start off with the big, big news. And Heather, I will say this to you for all of our listeners to hear. Heather. You were right. <laughs> I was freaking out over nothing. I'm sorry. You were correct. Because the news is official. Aaron Waltke himself tweeted it out. Star Trek Prodigy will be moving to Netflix. It is official. And season two will air on Netflix in 2024. This is good news, Heather. It is good news, except for the fact I got pissed off at Netflix and canceled my subscription a few months ago. So I I guess I'm going to have to sign up again. Um, Honestly, I didn't renew with them until like a couple of months ago. I'd been away from Netflix for like two years because of the whole Dave Chappelle thing. So I I get it. Yeah, I, I got annoyed over the whole like household cracking down on the password sharing thing. Because, I mean, I I was paying them extra to have extra devices attached to my account. Why the fuck can't they be in different households? Okay. You know, I'm already paying extra to have more devices. It made no sense. So I got pissed off and canceled over that. Um, So, yeah, I guess I will have to sign up for Netflix again. But I'm probably not going to do it until season two comes out. Just saying. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we'll talk about that offline, just in case. Uh, yeah, this is great. And I have to say, when we saw that teaser for season two of Prodigy at STLV, I absolutely loved it. That was the most I'd been excited for Prodigy in a long, long time. And this news has totally reinvigorated my excitement for Star Trek Prodigy. I'm I'm very excited to see season two. And it seems like the crew behind season two are very excited to to show it to everyone. And, oh, yeah. and it it's just great news all around. And I will do my best to not freak out as much going forward. But I make no promises. <laughs> So, Heather, there was something you wanted to talk about coming out of New York Comic Con, aside from there being no announcement for the air date of Star Trek Discovery Season 5. Uh, we we got some other news coming out of New York Comic Con. The, the Boldly Bee 
uh, fashion collection with rapper Kid Cudi collaborating with Star Trek. And there was something about it that you wanted to bring up, Heather. So uh, they showed us at New York Comic Con a lot of examples of the what the collection is going to include um, besides just the varsity the varsity jacket that they showed in the teaser as well as the price points for the different parts of the collection now i said in the last episode that what i bought from this depended on the price point (laughs) okay um forty dollars for a (laughs) t-shirt forty dollars for a t-shirt that's ridiculous Uh, that's hilarious i'm gonna tell you right now that's ridiculous okay um one forty for a sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah. That is insane. That that is unacceptable, in my opinion. The word I'm going to use is unacceptable. <laughs> but but here's where they have my basic bitch ass. I will pay three hundred dollars for that varsity jacket. I will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would totally pay three hundred dollars for that varsity jacket. Honestly. I mean, I yeah. have been seriously considering those DS9 sweatshirts. I'm not going to go for anything else in the collection, but I will pay $300 for that jacket. I, I'm i not going to fault you for it because I'm thinking about those sweatshirts that are $40. I, I am thinking about it. Uh, those sweatshirts might... that are $140. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> $140. But like I said, I ain't going to fault anyone else for going for anything else that they want on there. Because if you see something that's unique that you want to buy, you will spend the money for it. And like I said, that jacket is unique. I would totally wear it proudly. And I would pay $300 for it. So. And, and that is okay. Because, hey, we're Star Trek fans. And we have disposable income why not use it on the franchise we love so hey star trek kid gutty you you got us well done well played still would have been nice to hear something about season five of discovery uh let's see what else we got what else we got uh creation creation entertainment yes uh recently announced that along with stlv next august uh, which, uh, I don't know, for me personally, I don't know. Uh, they announced that they will be hosting a trek to San Francisco in March of 2024. We have a new trek convention of sorts under Creation Entertainment, Heather. Uh, well, I, I I'm excited for that. Because, I mean, Creation is very good at, like, sponsored conventions. Like, a lot of their conventions are show-focused and show-based. They do Vampire Diaries. They do Supernatural. Um, They've done a couple of Stargate conventions as well. So, it's their wheelhouse. And I'm glad they aren't adding another Trek convention to it. San Francisco is a very obvious choice. Do I think it's cool that both of them are on the West Coast? No, not so much. No, but, not at all. Um, it, it, it makes sense due to Star Trek's connection to San Francisco, especially since they are trying to kind of brand STLV as more than Star Trek like they did last year. 
So they're trying to brand it as more sci-fi in general by involving like the Orville guests last year. Um, so I have a feeling this one is going to be solely Star Trek um, because of the location. And I really do hope it does well. Um, I don't intend on going this year. March is too close for me to plan anything that huge. Um, I don't intend on going to Vegas again next year either. Um, but potentially if I can save the monies, um, I would go to San Francisco if they held it again in 2025, uh, because I've never been to California. So I, I, I would just, I would use it as an opportunity to go and the convention would be a good reason. Um, so yeah, I, I am hoping it is successful. I am hoping they get a lot of people that come. Um, but I, I personally don't plan on attending. This year, at least. 2025, I'm definitely looking at, for sure, for San Francisco. Uh, STLV next year, I'm kind of leaning towards another convention that's the same weekend. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how those go. Agreed on Creation Entertainment. They seem to have a good grasp on doing fandom conventions. I think that this will be a first-year convention, so I think people need to temper their expectations a little bit on what attendance will be and what the con will look like at first, because it will be the first year. So there will be room for growth. Well, and and here's the issue I have with Star Trek fans when it comes to going to conventions. I feel like they need to temper their expectations a lot. Because this might be an unpopular opinion. So I'm not a big convention grower, but... I had been to plenty of local conventions. I have been to, I, I, I feel like I, I've been to a decent amount and I feel like Star Trek fans in general are very picky. Oh boy, the are they. About what happens and how a convention should be run and things like that. And I say that even after attending STLB. Because a lot of them go, oh, well, you know, they do this in Vegas, and and so this is the way it needs to be run. Well, even after attending STLV, I I feel like y'all are still picky, because STLV isn't anything drastically different from a regular convention. Um, So, yeah, I I have a feeling that people will go into this expecting a lot, and you've got to understand, and I come from this from... I worked at a sports arena for 10 years. I, I had been one of the employees that has worked conventions there. I've worked concerts. I've worked sporting events. So I really do look at things from a guest services standpoint. And from a convention guest services standpoint, if you are going to a new venue that you've never run before, you will have snags. Things will, like, you have to learn from the process of 
how to run things and how like setting things up differently might work better the next year. But once it's set up for that year, you can't really change it a whole lot on the fly. Okay. So I, I, I just feel like if you do plan, like this is for everyone out there. If you do plan on going to San Francisco, I hope you have a good time and I hope you go into it with just knowing that there will be snags. There will be issues. It is a first-year convention. Don't get your panties in a twist over something that's not unreasonable, okay? Just go into it with a little bit of understanding and positive attitude in the hopes that we get another convention the following year. I echo your sentiment 100%. I have been through dozens of conventions. Uh, anime conventions, yes, uh, but some sort of general pop culture, nerd culture conventions. I have seen what first year conventions look like, and they're usually not perfect. And fans are usually pretty understanding of that. I can't say that a lot for Star Trek fans. Star Trek fans can be kind of picky. Even with the stuff they like, they can be really, really picky. And that does concern me too a little bit with Trek to San Francisco. It does concern me a little bit. If I were going, I would be willing to give them the benefit of a doubt of the first year convention because... I worked on a first-year convention before. For anybody out there that is an anime fan uh, and knows the YouTuber Red Bard, they talked about a convention recently called GoDaikoCon, which had some disastrous results. I worked the first year of that convention, so I know what a first-year convention looks like firsthand. And I've been to a ton of conventions as a staffer, as a cosplayer, as an attendee, all things in between. And every convention is a work in progress. And like you said, Heather, I would hope that attendees and people who aren't attending give this some grace because it is their first year. Yes, Creation Entertainment has some experience, but... This is going to be a new convention in a new location, and I think everyone should give them some grace. I completely agree with you. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Uh, Yeah, Heather, you okay. said to me, <laughs> you have a surprise. So by all means, Miss Kirby, you have the con. Okay. So... <laughs> I, this has been bugging me for a few days since I saw this tweet and I wanted to use my platform, our platform here to talk about it because Star Trek fans, we have to talk about how you put Star Trek actors on a pedestal and you really shouldn't. Okay? And look, I think we as Star Trek fans, most of the community of Star Trek fans we know are very liberal-minded. 
they're very progressive people. They have very wonderful values, which they attribute to their love of Star Trek, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we have a tendency, especially with a lot of the actors that are in Star Trek, and 75% of them do subscribe to the same values. I I think 75% is a good number. 75% of them do ascribe to the same values. But I think we need to stop going into it that all of them do. Because not all of them do. And I'm not just talking about the very obvious ones, like Robert Beltran and Manu Imframi, okay? I'm not just talking about, like, the semi-obvious ones, like Roxanne Dawson. It's very conservative. In case you didn't know that, now you know. Um... I'm talking about some of the ones that do make very liberal posts, but then make some kind of offensive posts. Okay. Marina Sirtis is a huge yeah, one. In there that. it is. There it is. Marina Sirtis is a big one at that, who is very liberal, but she has made some extremely offensive comments. She's very as well. messy. She's very messy. Um, but the one in particular I'm here to rant about today is everyone's favorite space daddy, Anson Mount. What happened? I'm not aware of this. Okay. Anson Mount made a post at like 1130 at night on Thursday um, in which he tagged an article in which Cher uh, was talking about that if Trump won the election, she was going to leave the U.S. and move outside of the U.S. And his post in which he actually tagged Cher in said something along the lines of, you know, I'm concerned about the U.S. too, but I, I'm here for the long haul. And feel free to move because we don't need, like, your self-centered opinion anyway. That's just me paraphrasing. That. Okay. Um, this is not the first time I have seen Anson Mouse post something blatantly misogynistic. Um, and I don't usually mention it because everyone loves Pike. Everyone loves Pike. Everyone loves Anson Mouse. We're going to fawn all over him. I have no problem with Christopher Pike. I love Anson Mount's portrayal of Christopher Pike. But when it comes to Anson Mount as a person, um, I think he has some work that he should do on himself, personally. And I think there's a lot of red flags that come up there in some of the comments that he makes, especially when it refers to other women. So I... I, I like I said, this tweet just set me off because the amount of privilege that d dripped from that tweet, I'm glad that you, as a white cis man, Anson Mount, is fully prepared to stay here and fight against Trump, okay? I'm glad that you feel that way. But to tell anyone who doesn't fall into any of those categories 
that not wanting to stay in the U.S. under that type of rule is self-centered and narcissistic. Like, you don't know what it's like. Like, that's your white male privilege talking. You don't know what it's like to be a member of the LGBTQ community, which Cher represents a lot for the LGBTQ community. You don't know what it's like to be a woman. You don't know what it's like to be a minority race. Even though you're married to one, that doesn't count because you can't actually relate to that. And so to come very blatantly with that sort of privilege, and he literally, like, he didn't even delete this one. I've seen him delete shit before. I'm reading it now. He didn't even delete this one. He doubled down on it and shared, like, an article about how he wrote his feelings about celebrities who say that. So I... All I want to say here is I don't want people to come out with pitchforks going at Anson Mount because I'm ranting about this. But I think that we as fans should be aware and keep a level head and a separate mind of the character versus the person that plays them. Because I don't want to sit here and tell you you're not allowed to love Captain Pike. I understand why people love Captain Pike. I love his portrayal as Captain Pike. I, I, I don't want to sit here and tell you to do that. But I think you need to be aware that not every Star Trek actor it is their character in real life. And just have an understanding of who these people are and wh- what sort of level you attribute to them in your fandom. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. I do think that because of what Star Trek is and what it represents, more often than not, I was actually going to say, I think it's closer to 80 to 85% of the actors and people involved in Star Trek do share the sentiments of the franchise and the fans. I think this in particular, because I'm reading the tweet now, it says, if you honestly feel, tag share, that your relationship with the U.S. is so conditional that you must threaten us with your terrible, terrible absence, then just go ahead and leave. Am I concerned about America? Yes but I do not want to share a foxhole with your particular brand of self-obsession. Huh. That is an interesting choice of words. Exactly. That is, he's, he's being very particular with his words here, and I think it's really interesting. Um, I think for the most part... Everything I've seen from Anson Mount and the times I've interacted with him, his heart and his mind are in the right place. Well, this I, this does have some cis white male privilege to it, definitely. I, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I think alcohol plays a factor in some of the stuff that he tweets. 
okay maybe maybe because i like i said this one wasn't deleted so he did very much choose his his words very wisely but my red flags about anson mount came out and and to to everyone out there I work till 2 a.m. in the morning, so I am on Twitter really late at night sometimes, okay? My red flags about Anson Mount came out, I think it was right after season two of Discovery, and it was the White House press correspondence dinner. It was while Trump was still president, but it was a mixed-race woman who was the host of the white house correspondence dinner michelle wolf i love michelle wolf i love her i love her with all my heart was apparently watching this very late at night and i mean when when we're talking very late at night we're talking about 1 a.m in the morning and was probably very intoxicated and you could tell by the tweets by what he was tweeting but the stuff that was coming out of his mouth that was so derogatory towards michelle wolf was just like flabbergasted me okay and like i said he deleted it afterwards which is why i think it was alcohol driven too but i saw it (laughs) and Mm. ever since then i always that explains it heather that explains it in the back of my mind about him Okay, now I get it. Now I get it. So, um, okay, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, I, I'm not saying everyone needs to come out with pitchforks at at Anson, but there are snippets in, and he is very good at choosing his words and what he tweets. But there's snippets there where you can kind of read it and be like. Yeah, you really just said that um and i'm he's a very smart man and i'm pretty sure he does that intentionally but like i said i just i i want as a whole i want people to separate their their views of the character versus their views of the actor because i have no problem anson lives in tennessee he he comes from an area that. We'll, we'll just say I'm very aware of. <laughs> Not the most progressive part of the world. Yeah. So I, I have no problem with him having different views from mine. But I I do feel like he he does show his privilege sometimes. And I, I just, I, I don't think we should hold him as a man and an actor on a high pedestal. Because he does have things that I think he could he could work on and he could learn from. I will agree with you on that. Uh, just as a man myself, I know there are things that I can work on, and I'm I wouldn't be surprised if Anson Mount said the same thing himself. So I'm gonna try and uh, do the most milk toast thing possible here. And try and look at both sides of this. What you are saying is absolutely valid. His cis white male privilege is prevalent here. It is. And you do have to separate the art from the artist. 
And not every person that is involved with Star Trek gets it, if you know what I mean. I do think, for the most part, Anson Mount does. At least when he's sober. I'm looking at this tweet, and I see someone whose heart is in the right place, but the message was not the right place in the right time. Because in the case of Cher, she is someone who has been in the spotlight for decades and has seen what this country and what pop culture is since the Nixon administration, right? Yeah. So she has a perspective that is worthy of respect. And if that's how she feels, that she has every right to feel that way. And and I'm not gonna question her on it. And in fact, I would I would kind of say it's it's valid what she's saying if if that were to happen. It's it's not totally invalid. I think that they probably, that this is one of those times where two people see eye to eye on 95% of things. But that 5% is where things get icky. And I think that if he had the chance, Anson Mount would probably walk that back. He deleted what he said about Michelle Wolf. I wouldn't be surprised if he were to slightly walk this back about Cher. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I he's he's welcome to do whatever he wants and feel the way he feels. But I'm also welcome to feel the way he I feel about the way he feels. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely you should. You have every right to. And I think discussions like this are perfectly okay. They're they're a part of podcasting. And they're a part of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. Yep. And that's part of why we're here, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Well, Heather, thank you again for doing this episode with me. I really appreciate it. I genuinely love your insight every single time and do not ever think otherwise <laughs> I, I will say if they come at you with the, t the pitchforks they have to go through me first I have said that several times on several episodes of this podcast and I will keep saying it they want you they got to go through me <laughs> okay. but you can do that if you follow the podcast on the site formerly known as Twitter at Prom Trek Pod. Let us know what you think about Star Trek. Give us your thoughts. Do you like the cave episodes? Are you a bit cold on Peanut Hamper like we are? Are you going to buy one of those things from Kid Cuddy and the Boldly Bee Collection? Let us know. We're interested. Heather, where can they find you online? You can find me on the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, at NerdyGal33, you can also find me on Blue Sky, which I will eventually use more often once 
Elon tries to get my credit card. Uh, <laughs> so that's is also at nerdygal33. You can also hit me up on Facebook. I mostly just stalk Facebook. I don't really post on Facebook that much. But if you want to be friends on Facebook, I'll add you on Facebook too. Um, and yeah, that's it. I love Star Trek. I love a whole lot of other things as well. So I'm sure we can find something to talk about. And yeah. All right. As for me, I'm on Blue Sky at Delta Julia, Mike. We can talk about a whole bunch of stuff if you like. Until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. Live long in something or other. Heather, say the thing, please. (laughs) Chin up. Tits out. And watch for the shoes.